Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Let's sing. I can see the waters rise. I can feel the winds they try to shake me. I will not be moved. My feet are on the rock. Ooh, I can feel the waters rise. I can hear the howling lies that haunt me. Fear won't hold me now. My feet are on the rock. When I feel my hope about to Kavanaugh Church family. How's everyone doing today? Okay, we're going to try that again. Kavanaugh Church family, how's everyone doing? Woo! I don't know if you guys know this or not, it's a national holiday for us. It's back to church Sunday, which means that we have fried Oreos tonight. I'm pumped. This youth pastor, I love, Oreos is an addiction for me, guys, especially the double stuff, the mega stuff. Yes, and tonight they're going to be dipped in pancake batter and then fried, and I'm going to have at least eight. It's going to be amazing. 
and then I'm going to have to follow my kids through about a whole bunch of bouncy houses and throw them up afterwards. Anyways, it's good. Man, it's so good to see you guys and so glad that you're here this morning. We know that God has a plan for us and, uh, and, an, and an awesome word for us today. We're excited for what he has in store for us. So I hope that you've come ready. We've been praying for you. We believe that God has something incredible in store for us today. If you're a first-time guest in the chair back in front of you, there is a little Connect card. Fill that out for us, and then right after service, you can take it out these back doors. There's a little Connect counter there. We would love to get to know you and your family, give you a gift, and tell you all about our church. Man, it's an awesome day. We hope that you're ready. And again, like I said, we've been praying for you this week, and we know that God is here with us, and we hope His Spirit moves. I'm going to invite you all to stand, and we're going to ask His anointing on our services this morning. Let's do it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Again, thank you so much for bringing us back together here in this place, God. We love our church, and, and what happens here is very precious and dear to us, God. So I pray that as Brother Will brings the message today, that our hearts are very receptive to what you have for us, God. Teach us, strengthen us, discipline us, encourage us, and help us to be the people that you want us to be, God, because there is a world that is in desperate need to know what, that, what real love is, and we show them that by giving them you and living out your example. So encourage us today, God. We love you, and thank you so much for our church family. In your name. Amen. Greet those around you, and we'll get started in just a few minutes.
When life throws you a challenge, and it will, sometimes the mountains in front of us seem so steep that we don't feel like we can climb it. And the, the valley that we find ourselves in is just daunting and overwhelming. And it is then, when you find yourself in that place, that you need to pause and remember who God is and what God has done. And I know, because I found myself there this week, that it's hard to redirect your focus when things around you feel really heavy, like a wet blanket just on top of you, weighing you down. But if we will pause and begin to thank God for what He's done for us in our lives, our perspective will change. Sometimes we don't even feel like we have the energy to redirect our focus and to give praise to God. But I promise, if you will take Him at His word and call out on Him and thank Him for His faithfulness in the past, He is faithful today. And there's a lyric in this next song that says, Speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. So today, I just feel like, I don't know really why the Lord just impressed me to say this, but there must be someone in this room that needs to speak the name of Jesus over something that's really hard that you're going through right now. And at first I thought the line in this song was maybe a little odd because it says, speak, say the name above all names over every broken place. He is risen from the grave. And I thought that doesn't really make sense, but it does. If he has the power to rise from the grave, he certainly, he certainly can bring you through whatever it is that you're going through. Speak to him this morning, the name above all names. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me. My Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from his side. No greater sacrifice. What he's done, what he's done. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done, his life has overcome. Speak, say the name above all names, over every broken place. He is risen from the
father's will complete he reigns in victory this morning for what you've done. You've given us the gift of life and freedom from our sins. You've given us hope for eternity and help for today. And Father, I, I know that it's not just what's in the past that we have to think about, but we look forward to the future and what you will do for us, Father, as your children. You love us and you care for us like no other and I'm just so thankful that you know what we need before we even ask and that you can meet every need it, it may not be the way we think it should be met but father you know what's best and I'm just so thankful that you love us and you watch over us and for what you've done and what you will do if we only open our hearts and let you Father, I just pray that as Will speaks this morning, you would speak through him and open our hearts and help us to hear what you're saying to us. I ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I love that song, what he's done. He did it for you. Amen. I'm glad to be here today. Glad you're here. Uh, God gave me a word of instruction to give to you today from Titus chapter 2. And so we're going to be looking at Titus, the second chapter. Um, it, it's just a little tiny book towards the end of your Bible. Here's the way, and Paul wrote this to Titus, who was a, a young pastor on the island of Crete, and here's what he says in verse 1. Paul says to Titus, but you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. That is, Titus, I want you to teach them, preach them the Word of God, the sound doctrine of the Word of God. Because look at me, people, this is the book that guides our life. 
We are to live this word every day. It, it is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. So Titus proclaimed things consistent with sound doctrine, and then he ends the chapter by saying, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, let no man disregard you. So stick in there, Titus, tell them, tell them the way it is, tell them the word, teach them the word, train them in the word because they need to hear the word of God. It, it is correction to them, it is instruction to them. It teaches us how to live our life daily in this perverse world that we're living in. And so God, God has given me this word of instruction because sometimes we, as church, church, sometimes we need to re, be reminded this is the way we live. It's the way of God. We don't live like the world lives. We have been called out of the world. We have been transformed by the grace of God's salvation to live a different life from the rest of this world. And here is the tendency for us as we struggle in this old sinful world. Angie had a good illustration for it. It's like a wet blanket on us sometimes, weighing us down. And our tendency is to become complacent and to conform to the things of this world. And sometimes we ride the fence. And instead of being on fire for God and hot in our faith, we become lukewarm. And Jesus was writing to one of the churches in Asia Minor, the, the church of the Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, and he said, listen guys, I wish that you were either cold or hot, but you're neither one of those. You're just kind of lukewarm. And Jesus says, I can't stand lukewarmness in my followers, so because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And so our word of instruction from Titus chapter 2 today is let's live the truth. We say we believe the word of God, let's behave in such a way that backs up that belief. Woo! There's my whole sermon right there. You want me to just call it quits and let's go home? No, I can't do that because Titus is instructing five different groups in his church. Older men... Any old men in here? Look, I'm raising my hand. Old, young men, older women, I'm not going to ask if there are any of those in this room. Young women and then slaves. So it was pretty inclusive for everyone in the church. And he said, here's how we are to live. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope that is the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be eager to do what is good and what is right. Help us, dear Lord, to live for you, not only today, but for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Now, I grew up in Midland, Texas, and in Midland, Texas, there was the south side of town and the north side of town. And you know what separated the two? It was a railroad track, south of the track, north of the track. How many of y'all have ever been at a railroad crossing and you're just stuck there? Lights are flashing, the arm has come down, you can't move, and there's no train coming. Isn't that aggravating? But at times there will be a train coming. Got a video of this train coming, and, and, and all of a sudden you see the light, you hear, you hear the whistle, you feel the train, can't you? I mean, you can feel the train, it's vibrating, even your car, and then it speeds by. What's pulling that train? Right there. It's that engine. Then all the cars are following. Now, when I was a kid, I would wait for the little red caboose. Uh, there ain't no more little red cabooses. What's at the end of this train? What is that right there at the end? It's another engine. So there is an engine pulling the train, and there is an engine pushing the train so it can go down the track at a great rate of speed. And as we think about the life God has called us to live in this world as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not on our own. God is here to help us. His Holy Spirit indwells us. And he gives, the give us, gives us the power to live this victorious Christian life. In fact, there are two powerful engines that move us. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but twice in the verses we read, we see the word appear. For example, in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Verse 13, while we wait for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is an engine that is pushing us from behind, and there is an engine in front of us pulling us to help us live this holy, godly life. And our passage first describes that engine that's in the rear end that is pushing us, something that has happened in the past that is pushing you and helping you to live the life that God has called you to live. So what is the push engine? It's our salvation. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now church, I am so glad he included that phrase, all men. I'm glad all men is in there. It tells me that none of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. God's grace appeared because we needed it. Why do we need God's grace? Because we can't change our own lives. You can't save yourself. So God's grace appears like this shining light in our dark, hopeless situation. And, and listen to me, listen to me. It doesn't matter what you have done in your past. It doesn't matter how bad you have messed up your life. God loves you. And he extends to you that grace that can save you, that grace that can change you. Now, now there's something about this grace that brings salvation to us, and we see it in verse number 12. This grace that brings salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives 
in this present age. So this grace works in us. When God's grace comes to us in salvation, it produces something in us. It sets us on a new course. It replaces those old desires with new desires. Behold, everything becomes new in Jesus Christ. In fact, the word teaches in this verse means trains. It provides instruction. It disciplines us. It trains us. And that discipline results in our developing right habits of behavior. The way Paul puts it here means it continually trains us. The grace of God that appears to bring salvation to us, it pushes us, it trains us, it disciplines us. Listen to me. God did not save you to leave you the way you are. He has a tremendous change in mind for you and for me. So the grace of God trains us to form proper holy habits of behavior in our lives. The grace of God doesn't just save us from the stains of sin, it saves us from the chains of sin. It sets us free. It breaks the pattern of sin in our lives and replaces it with patterns of righteousness. Specifically, it trains us to say no. Now, some of us have a problem saying that word, no. So we're going to practice it right now on three. One, two, three. Come on, you can do better than that. One, two, three. No. No to what? No to what? Well, say no to godless living. That's what he says specifically in verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Well, it's to act as though God were not real. Now, I think it's easy for some people to become what I call practical atheist. If we really believe that God exists, that God is who he says he is, then it is going to affect the way that we live our lives and the way that we think. Because belief affects behavior. And so I'm going to say no to godless living. Why? Because I believe there is a God. And even though you might not be able to see my private life or even able to see what I'm thinking about, God does. He is in control of this world. And because I have given him my life and Jesus is my Savior, he is in control of me. So I'm going to say no to godless living. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe there is a God who is seated on the throne of heaven? Do you believe that he exists? Do you believe that he is real? Do you believe that he is in control of this world? and in control of your life. If you do, let's say no to godless living. Say no, number two, to worldly living. Specifically, this verse says that we are to say no to worldly passions. Now, let me talk a little bit about passions because 
passions are not necessarily wrong. God made us to be passionate people. I will admit some of you are more passionate than others, but we all have that inside of us. It's, it's a God-given thing. For example, I am passionately in love with my wife, Miss Angie. We, we've been married 40 years, and I can say I love, I love you more right now than I've ever loved you. I'm passionately in love with you. I am passionate about my family. I am passionate about my grandchildren. Y'all have done well. We got three adorable, awesome grandbabies. I am passionately in love with my grandkids. I would do anything that I could do for their welfare and their benefit. If, 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 if I drive down Adelaide and that, uh, God forbid, that house of y'all's, catch, I shouldn't even say this, but it catches on fire and those babies are hanging out the window, I would, I would scale the wall and save my grandbabies because I'm passionate about them. Now, sometimes I can become too passionate about things I don't need to be passionate about, like cowboy shooting. And the Lord will kind of get on to me and say, no, you need to, don't let that become a God in your life. Sometimes I become too passionate about food. Now, I'm, I am excited about the deep fried Oreos, okay? My goal is two, Nathan, I'm, I'm not... Two, two, two is my goal. I, I can be passionate about things. And, and so passion in and of itself is not bad. What we are to say no to are worldly passions, the desires that consume the people of the world who do not know God, the desires that characterize the spirit of this world. We are to say no to worldly passions. The Bible says it this way in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or anything that is in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What he's saying is you can't love both God and the world. You've got to choose between the two. For everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but it comes from the world. And so these are the things we say no to. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and we do that when we change the channel when something inappropriate shows up on our TV. We're saying no to godliness, no to worldly passions, just just when we change the channel because we don't allow that kind of stuff in our living room. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when we don't let our minds or our eyes linger on something that is immoral. We say, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm sure everybody in this room or most everybody has has a phone, and you you can go anywhere in the world on that little phone, no matter where you're sitting. Some of you might be on your little phone right now, you know, looking at your fantasy football team. See if you need to make some trades right quick. It's like take somebody off the bench and put them up. You know, I mean, we're addicted to them, aren't we? I'm meddling, I know. <laughs> but you know what? You can, you can be just doing anything on your phone, and all of a sudden something appears on that little screen that your eyes don't need to be looking at. And what are you going to do then? Are you, are you big enough, man enough, woman enough to say no? 
even though nobody else sees, you see. Are you going to allow your eyes to go there? All sin begins in the mind. You see it. You think about it. That's where it forms. It takes root. And then it fleshes itself out through our body and through our words. But to stop it, we say no to it. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when we refuse to stew over an offense that has been done to us. We we live in a bad world with bad people who do crazy things. And and if, if somebody has not offended you or blamed you or falsely accused you for something, don't worry, they will. They will. They'll drag your name through the mud. We say no to godliness and godly, ungodliness and worldly passions when we refuse to allow that offense to become bitter in our own minds and take a root of bitterness in our soul. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions when we stop our lips before gossip or hurtful comments come out. Why? Because we're just not going to go there. And we say no to these things in order to say yes to something else. We say yes to live a certain way. Look at verse 12. This grace that brings salvation teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes to the things of God. Yes to the way Jesus wants me to live. And Paul uses three adverbs to show us how we are to say yes. We say yes to self-restraint. And this is in relationship with our own selves. Verse 12 says it teaches us to live self-controlled lives. What does self-control mean? Well, it pertains to being sensible and moderate in one's behavior. So I'm going to say yes to restraint because I know that that if I do too much of this, it's it's going to be bad for me, that that I need to say. So I'm going to say no to eight deep-fried Oreos tonight. (laughs) Self-restraint. We say yes to rightness. That is in our relationships with other people. Verse 12, it teaches us to live upright lives upright, pertaining to being right as a result of being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. This is our relationship with each other, and this is how it fleshes itself out and works. I'm going to do the right thing when it comes to our relationship. I'm determined. I'm going to be like Jesus and do the right thing. So if I give you my word, I'm going to do everything I can to keep my word because that's the right thing. What is the right thing? I'm, I'm going to treat you with respect and with love because that is the right thing. And that's the way we relate to each other, as if we were the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to say yes to doing the right thing. That's a novel thought, isn't it? Number three, I'm going to say yes to reverence. That is our relationship with God. Verse 12 goes on to say, it teaches us to live godly lives in this present age. Godly, to worship well, pertaining to being devoted to a a proper expression of religious beliefs. In other words, I take God seriously. 
And so if God has told me to do something in his word, I'm going to say yes to that thing. I'm saying no to the world, but I'm saying yes to God. And we do all of this, the verse says, in this present age. That is in the world that we are living in right now. You see, in our world, our culture, there are all kinds of thoughts and opinions and philosophies and values floating around. And this present age that we're living in is polluted and perverted. It's a mess. But it is in this world that we're living in that we learn how to say yes to the things of God and no to the things of the world. Why? Well, not only is God's reputation at stake, he's calling us out to be his very own people, but also this, this whole plan of salvation is at stake. We are to live godly lives, and we are to live different than the world. Why? Because we are his. And if the world can see no difference between them and you, we've got a real problem, Houston. Because if the world is going to hear the good news of the gospel, if lost sinners are going to be saved, it is because you have become the light of Jesus. You have become the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. You have become his ambassador. You are telling the good news to someone else. And not only are you saying it with your mouth, you're living it with your life. And so they not only hear the good news, they are seeing Jesus inside of you. And people become saved because of you. Remember the message a few weeks ago, there's there's no plan B. God's chosen you to get the good news out. So there is a powerful motivation behind this saying yes and this saying no. There is an engine that is pushing us. It is the gracious salvation of Almighty God. And then there's that other engine that is pulling us, something out in front pulling us. And here it is, I'm going to call the pull engine our blessed hope. I love verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what is out there ahead of us in the future that is pulling us toward this godly lifestyle. Jesus Christ is our great God and Savior. That's right. The Jesus who was born in Bethlehem's manger and died on Calvary's cross, he is our great God and Savior. And after he was buried, Jesus rose again from the grave. After three days, he rose up, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And there is coming a day in the near future when he appears, and he is going to be manifested in a way that we have never seen him on planet Earth. And we're waiting for this. As a church, we're waiting for his second coming. As a believer, we are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. We're waiting for that. That's what the verse says. We wait for that. But the word wait doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like you're waiting in a doctor's office. Don't you get irritated at doctor's offices? I mean, why, why in the world do they tell you to be there at 9 when they don't see you till 10, 15? 
Sorry, doctors who are out there, but maybe you need to hear that. <laughs> what, what do you do in a what, doctor's office? Well, I, get, I just get irritated, man. You know, I'm, I'm turning into that old man. Oh. Uh, I look at the reception. I'm almost there. Right? What do we do? We, we pick up the magazines on the table and we just flip through them. Who, you know, who... I don't know what they're talking about in cooking magazines. I don't cook, but I'm looking at them. Then I'll throw those down after I finish all the magazines. I'll pull out my phone and check emails and get on YouTube and watch golf videos or shooting videos. And, and then if it's still not my turn, I, I doze or I fall asleep. I, I am getting old. That's not what this word wait means. No, this word means to continuously remain in a state with expectancy concerning a future event. We're expecting it. We're, we're waiting on it. We know it's going to happen, and we can't wait until it gets here. And all of history is moving toward this awesome event of Jesus coming back again. As believers, this verse says, it is our blessed hope. It's our confident expectation that God has something better for us, that God has something greater for us. It's just ahead. Why is it our blessed hope? Why is this second coming our blessed hope? Well, because it's the final installment of God's great redemptive work in our lives. This is where everything is moving for us as believers. Remember, when God saves you, he has a changed life in mind for you. He wants to change you. And here's what Philippians 3.20 says about it. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4.8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all of those who have longed for his appearing. So here's the question. Do you long for his appearing? I mean, do, do, you, ever, do you ever even think about it? In your busy day, does it ever cross your mind that, you know what, today could be the day that Jesus comes back? In fact, let me ask you this. When was the last time you thought, I wonder if it's going to happen today. And when that thought does come to your mind, does your heart long for it? Does it create an eagerness inside of you to see Jesus? In fact, do you pray every morning, even so, come Lord Jesus, let it be today, come Jesus. Kids, not just right before you take a test that you haven't studied for. But I mean, do you really long for the second coming of Jesus Christ? The early church had this one-word greeting. It was a one-word prayer, and they prayed it constantly. It, it was Maranatha, which means, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. D do you long for his appearing? Are you waiting expectantly for it to happen? I've told you this story before in a, in a different sermon, but... When, when I was a little kid, seven, eight, nine years old, we had a 1963 Impala, blue Impala, Chevrolet Impala, the long thing. 
It's like 27 feet long, 34, 5, 50 feet long. I don't think it was huge. Had this massive back windshield that curved around. And, and the back dash was bigger than the front dash. And so as a little boy, I would lay in that back dash and look out that massive window. Who needed a car seat back then? I mean, you just lay in the back dash. And, and if it was too hot in the back dash, you could lay in the floorboard. If your sister was laying in the back seat, you just get down on the floorboard. I sure miss those days. But here I was, a little kid, nine years old, Midland, Texas, laying on the back dash of our 63 Impala, looking out that massive windshield. And I can remember as if it were your, yesterday, looking up at the clouds and, and thinking, you know what? Jesus could come back today. I wonder if he could come through that cloud. That looks like a good cloud for him to come back in. And not only was I thinking this, I would say it out loud. Hey, Mom, that looks like a great cloud for Jesus to come back in. Now, you tell me, why would a little kid, nine years old, lay on the back dash of a 63 Impala looking out the rear windshield and say something like that? That looks like a good cloud for Jesus to come back on. I can tell you why. Because my preacher said it every Sunday at church. He preached on it constantly. Jesus could come back today, Brother Zellers would say. And if he came back today, would you be ready? He could bust open the eastern sky. He could ride in on that cloud. Are you ready? I heard it every week. My family talked about it. The people we hung around talked about it. The expectancy of Jesus Christ. He can come back at any time. And it was a blessed hope. It was something we look forward to. But let me tell you this as well. If you think and you know and you believe Jesus could come back today, it is going to affect the things you think about and the way you live. Why? Why, why don't we think about it? Why is this not our blessed hope? Well, maybe it's because you're saved, but you've never simply been taught this important truth, and, and you've never really thought about it in these terms, that you know what? It could be today. But now you know that it could be today. Now you've heard it preached, and you feel differently about it. And so maybe you're going to walk out of this sanctuary today and look up and say, hey, it could be on that cloud. Or maybe you're going to get up in the morning and think, is it today? Or, or, perhaps, or perhaps you're not eagerly awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ because your love for Jesus has grown cold. Oh, yeah, you, you've accepted the Lord as your Savior, but, but your love has grown cold. You're not on fire for Jesus like you used to be. You're just lukewarm in your faith. Christ isn't all that precious to you, and, and your longings are after the things of this world and the people of this world, and, and maybe this creates in you today a sobering realization that you don't love Jesus like you used to love Jesus. And so this morning, you need to come and repent of that and fall back in love with Jesus. Or perhaps you're, you're not eagerly awaiting the appearing of Jesus Christ because you know you're not saved. You're not saved. 
You know it's true. You've been told this morning that Jesus is coming, but you're not ready for that. You haven't said yes to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, friend. There is something you need to do today. You need to come to the altar and, and go through the ABCs of salvation. You need to admit that you're a sinner. We all are. B, you need to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then C, you need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. I'm going to ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? He has paid the price for your redemption, and all you have to do is believe. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 ends this way. He who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. That's what Jesus did. He redeemed us from wickedness. To purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Again, Jesus didn't give himself to leave you on planet earth unchanged. He intends to redeem us of all wickedness. That's another word for sin that means the transgression of the law of God. Friend, listen to me. God's aim in our redemption was to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but the activity of sin as well. Jesus came to purify for himself a people that are his very own. There will be something about the way that we live our lives that says not only to Jesus, but to the rest of this world, I belong to Jesus. We will be different because we're saying no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. He intends to purify for himself people who are eager to do his will. Eager. The the word is the word from which we get our word zeal or zealot from. That means we need to develop those holy habits. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And here's the cool thing. He's going to help us do it. He's going to help us to live that holy life that he has called us to live. Every morning when I, when I get up, I, I have scripture time and prayer time. And, and one of my prayers is, Lord, help me to be as holy today as a safe sinner can be. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to think like you, live like you, say yes to the things of God, no to the things of this world. And he helps me do that. There is an engine behind me pushing me. It is the grace of God that has brought salvation into my life. There's an engine out front pulling me. It's the blessed hope of the second coming of Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming back. It may even be before we have those fried Oreos tonight. The big question is, are you ready? And are you living for him? You know, I I wrote that sermon this week, and I was thinking to myself, man, that's a hard sermon to preach. That's some hard teaching right there. Yeah, just like that alarm, man. Eh, eh, eh. It's hard, man. Can I tell you, it's hard. 
It, it, was, it was hard for me to get up here and preach this sermon to you today because I, I know the grind that it is. I, I know that you want to come in here and hear something happy. It's back to church happy day. But bigger picture is this. I, I want you to live for Jesus. I want you to live that godly life that says yes to the things of God, no to the things of this world. I want you to be so different that people can just look at you and listen to you and know that you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That you are a shining light for Jesus Christ that is drawing lost men, women, boys, and girls to a Savior who loves them and can save them from their sins. It is a challenge, but it's what God expects from us. He expects us to be different, to think different, to live different in this world that we live in. So would you accept that challenge today? Would you say yes to God and no to the things of this world? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we give this invitation, you would speak personally to each one of us, that you would call us by name. Lord, there are some who need to come and repent of their sins today, Lord, and accept Jesus as their Savior. Others of us need to rededicate our life to you and say yes to the things of God. Others of us, Lord, we're praying for lost family members and friends who, who don't have that blessed hope. And if Jesus Christ came back today, they, they wouldn't be in heaven. And Lord, we, we love them too much to let them die and go to hell. So today we're going to come pray for them. And then we're going to go to them and share with them the good news of salvation. Lord, however you're directing in this invitation, I pray that we would be sensitive, that we would listen, that we would come, and that we would pray. Lord, some just need to come and lay their burdens that they've been struggling with on the altar and ask for your help. Help us to come, Lord. Help us to respond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand, and as the praise team sings, would you join me at the altar? However God is leading you, let's, let's come and pray today for God's grace, His salvation, His mercy in our life. Would you come right now?
Jesus, thank you for being for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the grace that you've given. Thank you for the hope of heaven. I thank you, Lord, not only for doing that for me, but for all of us in this room. Help us to realize that the grace of God is for everyone. God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to faith in him. And Lord, help us to live our life in such a way that we can lead other people to that faith and that salvation. Lord, a lot of prayers have been prayed at this altar this morning. I pray that you would hear each one and answer accordingly. I love you so much, Jesus. I love my church family. This is my church for life. And I pray a blessing on all of us. Let our light shine for you in this dark world. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. God's good. Amen. A couple of things before uh, we release you and let you go. If you're a church member, as you walk out the back door, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. If you're a guest, please fill out that Connect card. We have a gift for you. You can just go to the Connect counter out this door, and we'll give it to you. Our lobby is full of uh, tables for C groups. C groups are going to start this next week on October the 1st. It's going to run for six weeks. It's going to be a lot of fellowship. A lot of uh, fun, a lot of getting together and and enjoying the the small group presence of your brothers and sisters, but also we're going to learn about how we can be a witness for Jesus. And so sign up for a C group. Here are all the groups that are listed. We have like nine of them that are going to meet on Sunday at different times. Uh, Those are the leaders, so go pick you out one. On Monday, we have one meeting in Barling on Tuesday. There are three meeting from early in the morning till that evening, and then on Thursday we have another one meeting as well. Sign up for a C group and get involved. It's going to be a great time. Our Back to Church Bash is tonight, okay? We're going to have it, even though it's rained and everything's muddy, but most of it's going to be inside, okay? So we've moved it from outside to inside uh, in our gym and in the old worship center, which is now the teen room. We're going to have all of these inflatables and carnival, carnival rides Uh, There's going to be hamburgers and hot dogs. We're going to eat those in the welcome area of the old sanctuary, which is the teen center. Uh, Outside of the uh, teen center in the drive-thru, a mechanical bull. Anybody want to challenge me to eight seconds on a mechanical bull? How about challenge Miss Angie to eight seconds on a mechanical bull? Uh, Then under the drive-thru of this building, we're going to have homemade ice cream. It's going to be fantastic. In the old breezeway uh, between the gym and the teen center, it's going to be uh, like popcorn, cotton candy. That's where the fried Oreos are going to be as well. So it's going to be a fantastic time from five to seven. You come, but bring, bring people with you. If you've got neighbors, family members who are unchurched, bring them, and it's just going to be an awesome, awesome time. Uh, The Young Home, we've got Young Home representatives here today. There's going to be a golf tournament on October the 2nd at Hardscrabble Country Club. The the benefit is going to be our Young Home. Uh, Miss Deborah is needing some people to help with that golf tournament, so see her 
or Brother Johnny. Wednesday night we have services going on. Thursday, ladies' Bible study starts either 9.30 a.m. or 6.30 in the evening. Also, Friday night, our ladies are going to get together. They've got a movie night planned at 6.30. I think it's going to be in the kids' gym. And then on Friday, how many of y'all love to fish at Roaring River? There's going to be a Roaring River fishing trip. Hey, that's the awesome thing. Jason, they're guaranteed to have fun. The only bad thing about this trip is you've got to show up at the church at 5 a.m. to go, but it'll be worth it, all right? So y'all hang around, be here tonight, 5 to 7 is going to be an awesome time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, well, thank you, Jason. Wow. I love that. I love that. Well, sign up for my C group, 7, 7.15 on Tuesday morning, men only. And I'll tell you why men only later in a private conversation. So hope you have a great day. God bless you. You're loved.